0: Hello and welcome to the twenty-minute hit time. Ollie Wilson, sports broadcaster and commentator for Talksport and the Football League. Joined as always by my gruff voice Scotsman co-host, Mr. Paul McDonald. As once again we bring you the fastest-paced sports podcast on the internet as always we have five main talking points to get our teeth into into today and we'll spend three minutes on each but when the buzzer's gone we'll be done and we'll be moving on as we rattle through the biggest news from the last seven days paul my good man a pleasure to speak to you as always in the middle of the week uh, what delights do we have on the cheese platter if you will of sports discussion today
1: good afternoon ollie we have rudy we have solheim cup we have etiquette and sport so much more and our esteemed colleague peter staunton joining us
0: peter staunton of course from goal.com european football writer and german football expert as well peter a pleasure to have you on board today mate how are you
2: I'm doing well, Ali. Thanks very much for
0: the invite. Uh, always a pleasure to uh, to hear you. It actually works out quite nicely because it turns this podcast into an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman joke. So you know, at least if people listen to it, then we'll have a good laugh down the bar afterwards. So that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be okay. But would say it's a
2: joke of a podcast.
0: <laughs> hey, your words, not mine, and hopefully not many other people's as well. But we will dive into our first topic of uh, today. Of course, the World Cup of rugby starting in the UK, or many would call it the Rugby World Cup. If if you will, this weekend. And already a massive upset in the tournament. Gentlemen, Japan beating South Africa, a thousand to one bet. Nobody saw it coming. So let me ask you this, is this the biggest upset in the world of sports perhaps ever? We'll kick it off with you, Paul.
1: I think it is, yeah. If you look at the, the betting markets for a two horse race, they are unprecedented when it comes to an event like this. Uh, Japan were being matched at 800 to 1 on betting exchanges. The uh, Betfair also picked up £375,000 of bets uh, on South Africa at 100 to 1 on for them to win this match. Such was the confidence that South Africa would easily dispatch Japan. You bring into the mix that the Japanese had a player making his 95th appearance for his national team, and this was his first victory and you bring all that together and it's quite an astonishing moment of sport.
0: Okay, but I will say Japan only ranked 24th in the world going into this game. South Africa of course ranked 3rd in the world. So uh, as upsets go, it's not like there's a huge gulf of 100 ranking points or anything like that. Uh, and, and may I just point out as well 1999 uh, 91, excuse me, Wales against Western Samoa. Uh Peter, can you really say this is the the best the best greatest underdog moment in in sports history?
2: Well, the thing is, uh, the performance of the Japanese side won't have come as any surprise, really, for the South Africans. I was reading some of the interviews subsequent to the defeat, and, you know, they were well aware of the strides that have been made in Japanese rugby over the last three or four years. There's a lot of imported players uh, over there now, and the standard um, has risen. Uh, combined with that, then, you know, South Africa, they've been criticized for sending a, an aging team uh, to this World Cup. I think they've got the oldest player at the tournament, uh, 38-year-old. Um, and also their form wasn't exactly great when they lost in Durban to, to Argentina in a game that they would, you know, traditionally trounce the Argentines in. And I I think that that sort of opened up a, maybe a little bit of a psychological gulf between South Africa and the rest of the nations at this World Cup and um, showed that, you know, maybe uh, with the right coaching and... Um, Obviously, with Eddie Jones, um, Japan have a, a man who was involved in South Africa's World Cup win in 2007. So with the right type of coach and the right type of discipline on the field, then there was every chance that South Africa could be got at. And, and that's exactly what and happened.
0: And an, an early point in a tournament as well. You know, you've got a South Africa side that are perhaps a little nervous, want to settle into this tournament and are expecting to coast past somebody like Japan. And you've got Japan, first game of a tournament, are really suddenly up for, for getting at one of the big sides in, in the Rugby World Cup pool. I, I think you're losing this battle here, mate.
1: No, Listen. In sports such as football, teams can defend deep. They can frustrate opponents and get lucky results. In rugby, it hardly ever happens because of the nature of the game of rugby. There's 80 minutes, the way that the the, the game turns over, the way that possession is, is switched between the sides, it generally always means that the best teams rise to the top. And there is an established elite in rugby that are significantly better than other teams. Put all that together and Japan's t- achievement here is all the more astonishing.
0: Now, as in world sport, Paul, I'm sorry, but I'm saying uh, 2007, USC upsetting Stanford. Uh, I'm talking about the miracle on ice in 1980 in the Olympics when the USA beat the heavily favoured Soviets. Mm. That's it for for, uh, for this It's not the greatest uh, upset in sporting history. Uh, We'll move away from the Rugby World Cup, although I'm sure we'll be back with the Rugby World Cup later on uh, as the weeks click on through the tournament. And we will get back to basics, back to football, and we will talk about the big talking point from Arsenal against Chelsea on the weekend. Diego Costa and Gabriel squaring up. Diego Costa winding up the Arsenal defender, so much so that he reacts and gets himself sent off. Peter, is Diego Costa the villain that we all just dislike and don't ever want to see in sport again? Or is he exactly what we need in football in this day and age?
2: Uh, well, I think to, to bring that down on either side of the debate would be would be wrong, and it would misinterpret uh, Costa's role in the team. He, he's not a villain. Um, you know, he's he's just a centre forward trying to do a job of his team, and a, a lot of of what he does on the field, I think, tends to get a little bit overblown because of the reputation that precedes him. Now, look, he should have been sent off, uh, Costa. Uh, quite apart from uh, the confrontation with Gabrielle, what he did to Lauren Koscielny will quite rightly earn him a ban. Uh, but had that been spotted by Mike Dean, then you would hope uh, that he would have been sent off for that. But, you know, after that particular flashpoint, there's only one man to blame uh, for this furore, and that's Gabrielle. But, but he had no has business re- getting involved. He was pushing Costa in the chest. Uh, you know, he was giving him the lip all the way back to the halfway line, and then he kicks him across the shins. I mean... If that was my manager, I'm pulling my... If I was his manager, should I say, I'm pulling my hair out. I just cannot understand uh, a centre-back like Gabriel, who, who surely knows Costa, you know, two of them played together, or should I say, played opposite each other in, in the Spanish league. He, he's no stranger uh, to the way Costa plays, to the way he tries to infuriate people, the way he tries to wind people up. But, and and he does you know, do that, a, Peter. He's
0: got if, that reputation if a for a back reason. in the
2: Premier League, I'm, I'm impervious to that kind of pressure from Diego Costa because I know exactly what he's looking for. He's got the reputation
0: for a reason, though, Peter, because he, I mean, there's no smoke without fire. He does wind people up, and not only that, but he, he throws, you know, those sly odd punches, the little digs into the back of people's heels. You know, he he can be an utterly despicable person on the football field in terms of playing this sort of tactic and it is in the world of the beautiful game the fast paced game it's surely not what we want to see right now Paul
1: sorry you're not going to get me again with you this one Ollie. Diego Costa is, is harks back he's a relic of a former era in my opinion back in the day this kind of stuff was always fair game between centre forwards and central defenders and it was part of the game and to, to single out Costa's actions now is some kind of revolution revolutionary way to play football is so short-sighted it's not funny. The game <laughs> the game has evolved into a, a, a level now where people are, are more interested in talking about action on the ball rather than off it. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the time that's justified and a lot of the, the great football we've seen over the past 10 years is because of that shift in focus from aggressive players towards actual talent on the ball. But the other side of the game is not dead. It, it, it comes, it evolves with it. And Costa is simply a guy who's taking advantage of those rules and, and using them. To the, to the maximum of his ability I think we've Co- seen Co- that Costa, of the game. Costa did not have a good game at the weekend he did not play well it's, indeed he's not played well for Chelsea this season but Mourinho called him man of the match for a reason because he made the the ultimate action in the game that decided it and it might not have been something that was involving the ball but it was irrelevant it got Chelsea the win that they needed and it was with, within the broad spectrum of rules of the game now he's going to be punished retrospectively that's fair enough but Mourinho won't really care because he got him the result on the day and it's part of the game.
0: The challenges you can't put in any more in football show that that side of the game is dead, I'm afraid. Paul and Diego Costa uh, needs to change his attitude as well. Uh, to the brighter side of the world of football, though, and uh, we will head and have a look at Manchester United and their new youngster, their new stellar forward, who has two goals on this weekend uh, against Southampton to give United a 3-2 win. Martial, the signing from Monaco. gentlemen. Is this youngster going to be the next Thierry Henry? Because I tell you what, he started flying for United with goals against Liverpool and Southampton. Uh, Paul, kick this one off.
1: Yeah, um, there were some comparisons to Thierry Henry made about him pre, uh, pre-signing um, from, from some of the colleagues that I, that, that I saw on Twitter. And I, I wanted to reserve judgment. But I have to say, having watched the game at the weekend, I do see where the comparisons come from. He has got a, a, an air about him in the box, a, a suaveness and a sophistication with his with his finishing uh, that reminds you of Thierry Henry. The way that it, for both goals, he, he remained completely calm in the area and gave the goalkeeper no chance. It was reminiscent of of our, uh, Henry at his pomp at Arsenal where, where the goalkeeper simply stood no chance when when Henry was bearing down in goal. Now, obviously, Henry scored near, nearly 200 goals in the Premier League and Martial has just got three so far. But for such a young kid... Um, to make such an impact on this league with all the fiori around about his signing I think it's a fantastic achievement and testament to the temperament of the, of the player because he seems, him and De Gea seem to be the calming influences and in what is still a, a pretty crazy Man United team at the moment there is no rhyme or reason to the performances and, and on, on any other day Southampton could have taken something from that match but we have Martial to thank for for a really good run and setting them up for the, for the rest of the season
0: a calming influence with a, with a teenager playing up front for them i'm sorry but i surely you've got to look at somebody like uh, like wan Mata, who who's kind of sat back and still been able to play a, a lovely little playmaker role at the start of this season for united and hasn't already had much credit at the start of this season in the comparisons to to ari henry, henry surely though the the greatness about henry was the fact that he came almost from nowhere with no furore around his signing at all and turned into something absolutely magnificent Martial, somebody who's already in the papers and has been bought for 36 million already there's expectation that he does this and that he becomes the next Thierry Henry not that he's going to be you know a diamond in the rough so to speak Peter
2: well I think he very much is a diamond in the rough because even the, the you know the closest observers of of uh, Ligue 1, uh, wouldn't have predicted that Martial could have come to a club like Manchester United and made such an impact you know this is a guy that was let go by Leon, the club that he was formed at for around six million just just uh you know, a few short months ago, when he when he moved to Monaco, and the reason why his fee is so high, in fact, owes a lot to uh, the negotiation brilliance uh, that goes on at Lyon, uh, because they have quite a significant uh, sell-on clause. Uh, f- from when he departed from Monaco. So, you know, whatever Monaco sold Martial on for, Leon are effectively getting, getting half of that. So, although we always, you know, laud Leon for the prices they get for their players, here they are earning massive, massive profits on players that aren't even theirs anymore. So, you know, I think a little bit of the negotiation skills for um, the president Aulas needs to, be, needs to be recognized here, too. But what I will say is what, has, what Martial's impact has thrown into sharp focus at the start of this season is the former Wayne Rooney. Um, you know, obviously he's not scored a goal in the league yet this season and it's been left to Martial and Mata and Ander Herrera to drag United through uh, and get results from places that they don't look like they're going to find them. Uh, you know, Rooney, due to his form, due to his injury troubles, and he just can't get going yet this season. And it it just demonstrates... Um, You're out of time, you know Peter, they, I'm they afraid. I hear a, a hero from somewhere.
0: You're out of time. You are going well over the buzzer there, my friend. Not not happy about that at all. You will not be invited back for another go here. <laughs> but um, look, you pay 36 million. You expect, uh, you expect quality straight away. I'm sorry. We'll move away from the world of football and we'll talk about women's golf. It's something that I don't think uh, many of us were expecting to be too engrossed into this weekend, the Solheim Cup, but actually one of the major talking points from the weekend's action and getting into etiquette on, uh, on the world, In the world of sport and particularly on the golf course, of course, uh, Peterson and uh, Charlie Hull taking on Brittany Lansium uh, and Alison Lee. Uh, and Peterson calling up Alison Lee as she picked up her ball off the green, the American, because she believed that uh, the Europeans had conceded uh, that hole to the USA Uh, Peterson said that they had not as Lee picked up the ball she called a foul on her the USA took that uh, lost that point but went on to win the Solheim Cup with a record eight and a half point come from behind victory Uh, gentlemen that no doubt spurred on the USA's comeback the uh, controversy uh, just before the singles matches took place but does this bring up the rules of uh, etiquette or, or should we be playing by the rules of golf when it comes to these sorts of sports Peter
2: you know, golf is a kind of holds itself apart uh, in the sporting world, uh, in the difference between, you know, the rules and the etiquette. But, you know, in this case, I think it gives the European team sort of a, a convenient uh, smoke screen for the failure that subsequently followed. You know, you want to talk about all-time sporting collapses rather than etiquette in golf at this stage. The, 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 you know, the tournament was pretty much done and dusted, and they should have should have won it from, from the position that they were in. But, you know, whatever happened on the 17th green, we do know now that, you know, it's probably inspired uh, Team USA to go ahead and get the win. Um, I don't know, Paul, Paul's more of a golf man than I am, so he would be able to assess uh, the etiquette part of it uh, more than I would. But all I saw was it was a smokescreen uh, to detract from the fact that you're a
0: but you don't don't you want to don't you want to be playing by the rules of the game, Paul? Rather than be living up to these kind of terms of etiquette and gentlemanliness on a golf course, wouldn't you rather, if if the poll's not been conceded and somebody picks up their ball, you call them out and you say, look, we're still playing here. We we still want to take this point and we want to make sure that we cement this victory as early as possible.
1: Yeah, I wonder if you tell that to Diego Costa how his round of golf would go. Um, <laughs> You're talking about two ends of the spectrum here. Um, and the opposite end, etiquette is intrinsically linked to the game of golf. It, is, it has been for 150 years. And that's why this has been such an incident. Um, I don't appreciate Peterson's actions whatsoever. When, when you motion to leave a green in a match play competition, um, to me, it suggests to the opposition that the, the putt's been conceded. And I can completely understand where the Team USA came from with, with picking up the ball. Uh, it's an 18-inch putt. It's not. It's not even, in my opinion, a negotiable distance. In the Ryder Cup, that would uh, involving the men, that would have been conceded without without a second thought. Uh, I just, I, I just don't understand the kind of the thought process here of the European team. And they've ultimately made themselves look stupid. Uh, people always talk about golf being the, the game of 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 um, sporting sporting behaviour. Um, and this just flies in the face face of that and ultimately I think that justice is done because the European team have got what they deserved.
0: Yeah but haven't we seen etiquette fall in sport before? I mean you you look at uh, Stuart Broad when he didn't walk in the 2013 ashes after being caught behind. Uh, You look at the Ryder Cup in 1999 the battle at Brookline that's in golf, Paul I mean surely uh, etiquette's kind of gone out the window then when the US started celebrating early and, and shows that the etiquette is no longer becoming as important in sport as perhaps following the rules and I'm sorry but if there's any debate at all. Alison Lee shouldn't be picking up that ball, isn't it?
1: <laughs> the Brookline incident was a dark day for golf that's been that, that has never been forgotten since and they've made great strides to make sure that it never happens again but even the Brookline incident was blown out of all proportion. After Justin Leonard made that putt in 99, no one ran across or laugh the ball's line. It did not impact the game of golf whatsoever. Yes, they celebrated exuberantly but because it was an incredible putt nothing else. I think that the, the, the game of golf has been striving to get back to that level of etiquette, and this has set it back
0: well, uh, we will leave the Solheim Cup behind and uh, uh, we will... Uh, at least I know that if I go to Paul's house or play golf with Paul, uh, he's going to be a gentleman about it while I uh, while I try and break all the rules as possible to try and beat him on the golf course. Uh, gentlemen, we will wrap things up today with the Davis Cup taking place this weekend and Great Britain fantastically booking themselves into the final of the Davis Cup uh, this weekend. But as a sporting contest, is it something that anybody really cares that much about these days? Is there still an interest for tennis outside of the main grand slam tournaments and those main top players of Djokovic, Murray, uh, Nadal and uh, and Federer. Uh, do we do we care at all about the Davis Cup, Peter?
2: Ollie, this is a brilliant story, uh, the Davis Cup story. And aside from Maradona leading Argentina to the World Cup in 1986, I don't think we've ever seen in sport one individual drag a team towards a title like Andy Murray has done with this Great Britain team. You know, this is a guy that has been criticised for his Scottish nationalist politics uh, in the past. But if you want to see where Andy Murray's heart lies, then, you know, his actions are speaking far louder than his words ever did. You know, um, Against USA, against France, and against Australia in the semi-finals, uh, Great Britain won nine points. Uh, of that, Andy Murray was directly responsible for eight of them. The only point that he didn't win was uh, James Ward's uh, victory against um, John Eisner uh, in the first in the first set of knockouts in that extraordinary match. Um, you know, so for me uh, to put Murray up there on this plinth with Nadal and Federer and Djokovic. Uh, it would be entirely appropriate for for everybody to recognise this as a huge achievement. And even so, uh, you know, Rafa Nadal, when 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 Spain won the Davis Cup, he had you know Ferrer and he had Verdasco. Roger Federer last year did it with Stanislav Vavrinka. Uh, Djokovic did it with the likes of Tibzarovic and Viktor Troichki. Who's guy? Who's Andy Murray got in his team other than Jamie Murray? This is a a, a one man operation. Okay, and but it's, looks like it's going to lead Britain to. Um, I did first Davis Cup in about 80 odd years, and that, for me, I think it's a fantastic story.
0: Murray's doing it on his own, yes, for Great Britain, but in terms of a, a contest, I mean, you look at the Davis Cup, uh, we're in the, obviously, we've had the World Group semi-finals now, but aside, if, if Great Britain weren't in it, would anybody be really focusing on the Davis Cup World Group semi-finals this weekend? I mean, was anybody paying attention too much to the World Group playoffs this weekend that were taking place? Uh, there are so many levels of this competition, with so many nations competing in so many almost meaningless ties and meaningless fifth rubbers at the end of weekends. It's just a competition that's, to me, it's dying on its legs compared to the incredible Grand Slam tennis that we get when the big four are facing off uh, against each other in the US Open and at Wimbledon and places.
2: Well, be that as it may, Ollie, in your perceptions, but you only have to look at the depth of celebrations from the likes of Djokovic and Federer only last year uh, to show how much it means uh, to, to these very, very top players. And I think Britain's indifference uh, to the Davis Cup is largely borne out from the fact that they've had a pretty rotten tennis team over the last uh, few, few decades. Uh, and now the fact that, you know, a Davis Cup team led by the Murrays, of course, uh, is putting Britain back on, on, on the world stage, then I think, uh, you know, this should be rightly lauded and rightly celebrated. I don't think uh, British sport will have a better moment this year than, you know, that doubles match that, that Jamie and Andy had against the French pair at Queen's not long after Wimbledon. You know, that was just a wonderful afternoon's entertainment. And I think when Murray looks back on his career, although he has uh, got the Wimbledon title in the bag, Uh, and although he has uh, the US Open title in the back, I think you look at the Davis Cup, and you look at the Olympics in particular, as uh, great moments in his career, and there's more to it than the majors.
0: Paul silent on the Davis Cup, uh, much like many of the fans were around the empty courts uh, in, <laughs> in the uh, in the World Group playoffs and elsewhere in the tournament. Away from uh, Team GB's victory that saw them find their place in the World Group final against Belgium this weekend, gentlemen, we will wrap things up here on the 20 minute hit today. An um, absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Remember, you can catch up with us on Twitter at twenty minute hit two zero minute hit, all one word, all lower case. Until next week. A pleasure as always, gentlemen. Have a very good week to you
2: both. We'll catch up with you all.